magic, murder, problematic misogynistic undertones? Join us as we delve into one of Britain's best-loved TV shows. So grab your duffel coat, don your curly wig, and dig up that 90s character actor as we welcome you to Podcast Macabre, the Jonathan Creek Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to Podcast Macabre. Hello, hello, hello. Those of you that are getting this as it's going out, apologies it's coming out a little later than normal on a Monday. Uh, it's been an incredibly busy week and... Uh, You've been a little poorly bear, haven't you, Callum? I've been a little poorly bear, yeah. indeed. Yeah, um, I've I've felt very, um, very fluey, um, and uh, but it's all right now. I'm 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 all right now, aren't I? You're all right now. You had yeah. some rescue remedy. Didn't I you? did. You had some arnica. I was a bit shaken up, uh, to <laughs> yeah. be honest. Um, but yeah, I had some arnica. I feel fine now. And now we are ready to get into season two, episode two. Possibly my favourite episode of all time. Time waits for Norman. I mean, the excitement. Because <laughs> you say this quite a lot, like, oh my goodness, this is my favourite episode. And often, it, you know, it, it isn't necessarily. It's just, you, you just, you forget how, you forget the like, actual quality of it. Um, but this one particularly. Yeah. Um, you've been so confident in your ability to remember it. You said before we watched it, like, I don't even need to really watch this. I remember everyone's names. I remember everything that's happened. But it is the one that you've you watched the most amount of times, isn't it? I must admit, if someone was to look at my notebook, the notes I've actually made for this episode are comparatively less than any of the other episodes. But trust me, <laughs> it is not because there's less to say. Yeah. It is just because I, all the things are already up in my head and stored. And I've talked about this episode to so many people so many times mm. uh, that it's just all that. It's muscle memory now. I mean, if you've ever been at a party with David, um, <laughs> ab- about two o'clock when there's always like some people starting to go home, some people are like getting into the harder spirits, this is when David will start talking about this episode. To anyone, he'll listen. Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes even no one. Yeah, that's very true. Sometimes just to myself in the corner of the room. But it's important to be said out loud, you know? Is that what this podcast is? Is that yes. just leg- legitimising you talking to no one in a room? Absolutely. Hey, look, it's all the rage. Um, so the episode opens uh, with some lovely stock footage of Stansted Airport. I mean, it's the worst stock footage of an aeroplane <laughs> landing I've ever seen in my life. Why is it so bad? I mean, it's not just like 90s grainy, but it's it's just bad stock footage. Yeah, it looks like they've filmed the footage being played on a TV screen. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's twice removed film. Yeah. It's, it's really, really odd. Um, but yeah, fine. It, it means we know that it's something to do with an airport. Now, um, I, I actually uh, thought when this was happening that you would enjoy it because it, to me... It fits in with the only bits of Jonathan Creek that you enjoy, which are the 90s nostalgia. Yeah. Like the phone ringing that we've talked about before. And I thought is something really lovely about the 90s airport. Reminded me of going on holiday as a child and things like that. Yeah, I I, I know what you mean. Um, and uh, But I was so distracted by the poor quality of it. Like, <laughs> I like 90s nostalgia. I, but I, I if you had a, like a Panasonic camcorder... And you went on holiday with your family, you would have that's a better quality camera than the one they used to record this plane landing. Yeah. So it's I, I'm the nostalgia's taken away from me by the fact that they just couldn't be bothered to get a decent budget together for the stock footage, which again doesn't correlate with the amount of money they spent in other areas in this episode. So I was also slightly distracted by the fact that the music, um, wonderful dance macabre theme tune. Uh, starts to fade out and gets progressively more twee as yeah. the plane starts to land and it kind of all becomes a little bit murder she wrote flutes and i think that sets weird. up the tone of the episode quite well though uh twee is uh yeah the very twee yeah um uh, we do get a uh, very specific close-up on the passport of mr norman stangerson so yeah. basically gives away that that's going to be an important part yeah. to play of the episode. Otherwise, why would you show a, a incongruous close-up of a of a passport? But there we go. Yeah. What colour are they? Hey. Uh, the same as they are today. Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing's <laughs> changed. Good. 
Um, we then meet uh, one of our favourite ancillary characters, Barry. The oh, Barry. manager, publicist, theatrical agent. No. Right, of... but he says again, he says that he is the publisher. Yeah, but he's, but he's not because... Because he's brokering a meeting between... Maddie, the author, and, and the, the publisher. publisher. Yeah, yeah so, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, I have no idea. David Rennick doesn't understand jobs. So, yeah, so we meet um, uh, Antonia. She's, yeah, she's, yeah. She, she says, hi, Barry, Antonia. Um, you're looking very florid. <laughs> In order for him to yeah. say florid or Florida. Yeah. I don't, like. It's, yeah. It's... Why you pick such a weird word for it then to be a weird joke? It's it's an odd exchange. Right, he does look very florid. Um, and uh, and yeah, they they, they enter uh, Antonia uh, Stangerson's house. So she mm-hmm. is the wife of the person who owns the passport that we see at the very beginning of the episode. It's um, a great one for names. This I oh, spent yeah. too much time in it because they they keep coming up. But um, yeah. Stangerson. Stang. Great. I mean, where did he? Yeah, where did he find that? Uh, and uh, they um, have a little chat about the book. There's a weird meta joke about uh, she doesn't realise that Jonathan Creek's a real person. Um, and she says, oh, what? He's not some just some narrative conceit to further the plot. And I was yeah. like, are you, are you calling out the actual real character of Jonathan Creek in the TV series here? Well, I, I wrote on this as well, actually, because it feels like it's a nod to the ridiculousness of it all. Yeah. yeah which, which I actually quite like, because I think that, uh, you know... Renick's at his best when he's poking fun at himself. But it also means that Antonia definitely hasn't read any of Maddie's books because they're in article form, yeah. compilations of mysteries that she's written up in articles at where Jonathan Creek's obviously a very real person because, yeah. because otherwise she'd be lying. Yeah. And, and also, let's not forget that some of these are used in court cases and these are real murders that have happened. So... So she obviously has, so now I'm just distracted by the fact that Antonia is not a very good person at a job. But I do think this is a, a nice bit of continuity regarding Maddie's career because they do show the cover artwork and it's very clear that this is quite a low rent publishing house, Mills and Boone esque yeah. book. And I did think for a second, well, why is she here when she, like, wrote this book that, that acquitted someone and then I remember that person that was acquitted <laughs> did it. Did it, yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, so this is how far her career's Did fallen. it and committed another murder. Yeah, yeah. that the, her, her manager, uh, theatrical agent, has to get her uh, a interview with, with a publicist this low rent. So I thought, well, that's that's a nice bit of believable yep. uh, career uh, trajectory there. Then um, she... Uh, Maddie notices that the house is full of clocks. Mm-hmm. Not least a giant clock tower from a church from the local village. She rescued it from the uh, from the, the wrecking ball. Yeah. And that's in the middle of their living room. Just casually. I mean, the budget on this set dressing <laughs> is huge when it comes to the... There are, like, close to maybe a thousand clocks just in the shop. Like, yeah. incredible. All with their hands removed. Yeah. Because because uh, yeah, she says it's 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 an irony that she is a clock collector, but she's married a temporophobe. Temporophobe. Who is? What is a temporophobe? Uh, afraid. Someone that is afraid of time passing. I was going to say specifically. Yeah. Of a, not just time. Not just time. More than that, she says. Yeah. It's of time passing. Yeah. Which is kind of surely what time yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. And she says, you know how we all feel like uh, the years fly by that there's not enough minutes in the day, and Maddie. Says, uh, as a joke, because it's obviously a sitcom. Um, uh, yes, I get that, watching televised snooker. Now, it's a crap joke, but it also doesn't make sense, because surely that's the opposite, because what she's talking about is time moving too quickly. But isn't yeah. the joke that snooker watching snooker is really slow and boring? That's but a really good point. It's not, it doesn't work, it's the opposite. Oh, see, I thought you'd like that joke, because you always get annoyed when I watch televised snooker. Yeah. Because I watch it mainly... To meditate, really, because it just—it's yeah. lovely. It's relaxing, but clinking together. But, but what it doesn't do is balls. make you anxious about the passing of time because so it it's, doesn't work. It's exactly the opposite of that. It's a line delivered in the in the meter and rhythm of a so, sitcom joke, but unfortunately yeah. fails on the basic fact that it isn't funny or sensical. Yeah. Good. Um, so then we uh, go to Jonathan, who has a uh, VAT inspector. 
yeah. uh, there at his house auditing him. Which I find hilarious, because surely if there's one thing Jonathan Creek's got in order, it's gonna it's gonna be his tax. Right? Well, let's remember the first thing we learnt about him, Jonathan Creek Math Freak. He's a mathematical genius. Yeah. Why on earth is he being investigated by uh, a, yeah, an HMRC accountant? But you know. But you know, he is. Now she has a question for him, uh, about a particular um uh receipt and where to find it, and he says, Oh, that'll be in last year's receipts in the mm-hmm. case. And there's a little joke because we've all forgotten he's a magician because he never used magic to solve anything. Uh, so just a reminder that, uh, that that he does do magic. Yeah. The tax receipts, for some reason, are kept in a magic case with yeah. a false a false bottom case. Yeah. Why? 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 Why would he? Why? Why would he put it in there? Because I I surely like in the sort of logic of it would be oh he's run out of places to keep receipts so he's having to use magic props. Mm. But why would he put it in the false bit then? Why wouldn't he just put it in the bit when you open it for ease of access? Why has he rigged it as a trick? Who's that for the benefit of? I don't know. Is he concerned that um, for security, uh, a thief looking for the receipts might look in that case and then go, oh, no, they're not there. I won't rob these then. A thief only looking for the previous year's receipts because his current receipts oh, were, just, very good point. were just out. Yeah. So that's, yeah. This is This is receipts from... What, April 97 to April 98? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So. Uh, anyway. I just don't know why they're not more organised, because he's quite, uh, he's he's painted throughout the first series as like an OCD character. Completely antithetical any, to completely his Completely antithetical, yeah. Um, but there's a little bit of flirting. Yeah. And with... it's a nice, it's used as a device. Oh, yeah. that was magic. I'm amazed by you, Mr. Magician. Yeah. And uh, she looks at him with this kind of intensity. Yeah. And uh, we cut them getting a bit hot and heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then and then we... Uh, she pushes him down on the kitchen table. Pushes him down on the kitchen table. Uh, and then we cut to a comic set piece of a camera panning along, the classic panning along the floor yeah. with all the clothes that have obviously taken off. Uh, the trail of passion. Yeah. The problem is... There's about nine items too many. I mean, it's it goes on for so long. It's 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 actually it's actually not, I was gonna say it's like a naked gun set piece. Yeah. But it actually I've remembered it is a naked gun set piece. It's not just like it. That exact joke. Really? That exact joke is used in one of the naked gun movies oh. where where it pans on and there's and the, and like the items of clothing become more and more ridiculous. Oh yeah. And, and there's like, like a, 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 a chainmail. Yeah. And there's like the yeah, armor and a, yeah metal armor coming. Yeah, yeah. So that that joke's been used. Um, yeah. It, in, it in reminded me of the the Fat Boy Slim video with the limousine that keeps on going. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was so long. Yeah. Um, and then there's a pan down on on a wig, um, and then it comes back up to yeah. Jonathan and the VAT accountant um yeah. in bed together and she's got a bald head yeah um assuming maybe alopecia yeah uh would be my assumption um and jonathan doesn't look particularly happy because of course because as as we know he's he's an awful superficial person so um he's clearly playing that he's slightly disappointed that she's not got hair which is yeah. a bit odd um she also says tell me to stop now which i don't really understand <laughs> I missed that. Tell me to stop now. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, so uh, that happens and we then return back to the uh, Stangerson So we know household. there's going to be some kind of subplot there. Yeah. We get back to the Stangerson house and Antonia Stangerson is chopping chilies. Oh my goodness. She's chopping chilies and <sighs> she goes to rub her eyes uh, and, then, and then suddenly... Uh, like thriller slasher movie music comes yeah. in expect and she drops a knife and there's a close-up on the knife that she's dropped and you're starting to think oh that she's about to get murdered because jonathan creek people mm. generally get murdered in jonathan creek not in this episode um so and and, and there's a figure at the window very briefly mm. you see a figure behind the window but she can't see because her yeah uh eyes are all chillied up then it cuts to norman arriving uh, mm. back ostensibly uh, as we learned from his uh, uh, trip uh, to America where he goes a few times a month for work. Um, now, later on, he explains what he does uh, uh, and that, that he works uh, in computing for a mid-scale North American software company. Yeah. What he says when he comes in yeah. 
is great news. We've got the new Tom Clancy. We didn't think it'd be on the shelf for the next six months, but but she's a publisher. So so what? What's yeah. what's he? Why is he coming in saying something that I feel like that, that's has has Rennick forgotten? what job he gave the character to. David Rennick doesn't understand jobs. At this point, I'm assuming that he, because uh, I can't remember that he does this later yeah. on. So I'm assuming that he works in a similar business to his wife. Yeah. There's absolutely yeah. no way <laughs> that that he's working with Tom Clancy <laughs> and she's working with, with Maddie Magellan. Because if this, as you quite rightly say, is quite low rent and a bit Mills and Booney, it's no way in the same league as Tom Clancy in terms of murder mystery stuff. The, I, yeah. The only thing I can maybe think is that it is a Tom Clancy video game. Do you know, I was just thinking that. But maybe it's the computer science behind the Tom Clancy video game Splinter Cell, which, well, hasn't come out yet. Yeah. But hitting the shelves in the next six months, it's, it's, it's an odd turn of phrase when yeah. you're talking about a video game. But anyway. Maybe maybe we could give them the benefit of the doubt, and that's what they're talking about. But it certainly feels like he's talking about a book, and that he's a publisher, yeah. which he's not. She is. So that was very confusing. Um, but then, of course, when he enters, he sees what looks like his wife sat at a chair crying. Yeah, and, and she is. She's sobbing. And uh, uh, a young man, uh, Lewis, uh, Lewis French. Yeah. Uh, they're they with her, and he says, "Oh God, what's wrong?" She says, "Oh no, nothing. I've just been chopping chilies." Um, so fine, uh, which we already knew as an audience. So I'm not quite sure why we needed to see him think that his wife was upset and then learn that she was. Unless it was to do with the fact that Lewis has come and said that this is your, you know, husband's wallet. Yep. I yeah, found he's, it in he's a wimpy. Found wallet in the wimpy. So wallet. she's already thinking, oh, hang on a minute. I can't trust my husband. Why? So why? maybe she why? is crying. Why? Why? Why does someone going? Oh, your husband dropped this wallet at Wimpy. Why would that? Why? Why would that make you not trust your husband? Because he's meant to be in America at the time that her uh, that he says this wallet was that he was meant to be in a Wimpy, and yes. that to me is more believable than her still crying from chilies she chopped <laughs> presumably hours before. But I do want to because obviously yes, as you've rightly said, this sets up essentially the premise of the mystery of the episode it, this is the catalyst he his wallet has been discovered in a, in a wimpy that he dropped and lewis french the employee of wimpy says he remembers him which again i, I question but but fine he needs to for mm. the purpose of of the plot um uh even so now i get annoyed at horror movies and thriller movies often when um characters don't get as freaked out by weird things happening the trope in like a horror thriller movie when it first starts and like you think you see a person you mm. don't the general reaction is always like oh must have been the wind or you know yeah. rather than no one immediately goes wait a minute what just happened now this i feel is the exact opposite i feel immediately <coughs> I feel immediately from the outset of the wallet being discovered, mm -hmm. she's already like, oh, what is going on? And, and, da, da, da. and brings Maddie in to try. Everyone's going, oh, what's happening? And I'm like, well, surely it probably is just a mistaken identity. Well, I don't know why everyone is suddenly so suspicious for quite a, a low stakes, like minor sort of confusion. Yeah, it is odd. I, again, I think her suspicion is a bit premature. However, it is backed up when she says, how was New York? And he went, oh, fine, yeah. Lunches, meetings, yellow cabs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to be honest. Yeah, that's true. It's, yeah, it's a bad lie, isn't it? It is a bad, it is a bad He's lie. He's seen a picture of New York just before she said that. When, oh, what, oh, yeah, yellow cabs. Yeah, lunches, meetings, yellow cabs. Um, I also do just briefly want to touch on something I found quite strange, which is when he returns the wallet back to Norman, Norman gives him some money, Lewis, some money out of the wallet, but it's never discussed. But it's not like there was a previous, like, yeah, w reward for finding the wallet. But Lewis doesn't go, oh, thank you, or I can possibly... He literally, it's not... He just gives the money and Lewis just takes it and nothing's said. Mm. And I found that really odd. It was presumptuous. Like, like Lewis's... Uh, lower class and therefore like 
Thanks. Yeah, in it, fact, that's probably a bit of racism in there it, as well. It, it it felt it yeah it felt a little bit like that. Yeah, it's David Rennick, so I'm surprised. Um, so well uh, done for not stealing the wallet, son. Here you are. Have a crown. <laughs> it's also a wimpy in Bishop Stortford, and Bishop Stortford is the absolute most Jonathan Creek location yeah. ever. It's got a great rhythm to it, Bishop yeah. Stortford. Um. My next note is just why is the boy so angry? He he squares up to him so suspiciously. Again, wh- why? What? It's because Rennick knows that he's written this episode so low stakes. It's so Everyone's dull. reaction has to be over the top. Like, wh- why? Why do you care so much that he's going on? Are you mistaken? It couldn't have been me. And then he calls it. Don't out you later dare on. say that to me. What? He calls it out later on. Yeah. in his own writing, he says. Oh God, Lewis! Yeah, I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna grab him by the scruff of the neck. I thought yeah. he was gonna hit him. Go, like, go, go for his throat. Like, the right there, you are. Go for I his mean, throat. What? Don't do that when it's obviously ridiculous. Anyway, so she is still suspicious enough to then ring the New York office that night. Yeah. To yeah. check that he's still there. And, yeah. Fake um, Kim Cattrall. Fake Kim Cattrall. Very good. Um, who um, actually? That actress, uh, Laurelie King. She appears in another episode of Jonathan Creek. She appears, I think it's called The Seer of the Sands, mm. I think, season three or four. Um, and I believe I read it was because the, the, they liked working with her so much on this brief scene. They invited oh. her back for a, a bigger role. In a oh, The Seer of the Sands. I know the episode you're on about. Episode, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, they've got form for that, as we're going to find out soon. Yeah. Um, but there's a great line that um, Laura Lee has where she's saying, oh, apparently this... You know, I've got someone here saying that they uh, they they saw him in Bishop Stortford, but he was meant to be in New York. And she says, "Did this voice sound kind of muffled, like it was coming from another orifice?" Yeah. So, right, yeah, talking out of his ass. That's what you call a really laboured, bad joke. Yeah. Ugh. But he loves them, doesn't he? He does. Eighty percent of the script of Jonathan Creek. The point is that uh, fake Kim Cattrall has. Uh, now given an alibi she said Norman Staggerson was at that meeting in New York at the time that he was supposed to be seen in the Wimpy so again me at this point I'd be like oh well clear mistake identity let's all move on with our lives but no 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 it causes a big I'm like why why are they so disbelieving of of Norman Staggerson why why is Lewis from the Wimpy the absolute beacon of truth in this. Well, just because he got a bit angry. I, I know what you mean, but they can't let it go because he does have his, his wallet. Yeah, but... So where does the wallet come from if it was mistaken identity? It, he could have dropped it the previous day. Which is... Which I'm surprised he didn't say, which he doesn't. Yeah, actually. If he... If there <laughs> were, yeah, there could be other information there yeah. that would be offered up. But, um... No, he's, he's got his lies and he's happy with them. <laughs> Lunches, meetings, yellow cabs... Um, so yeah, we go to Maddie, um, has now been called to, uh, try and, yeah, see if she can get any info and try and explain this. Um, she, uh, after she's drawn a map on a melon, um, has a little snoop around and goes, yeah, goes again, into- just again, it just annoys me again that Maddie's got to draw a map of the world on a melon in order to understand that he couldn't have been on both sides of the Atlantic at the same yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like... Every other episode where a woman has to work out something logical and goes, God, I just don't understand how it could be possible. It's like, yeah, obviously that obviously that's not what it is. And you're an adult human. (laughs) So, you know, that without having to draw on a melon with a marker pen. But let's just pretend all women are absolute idiots. I can only work it out if it correlates to something in the kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Awful. Then she goes for a snoop around and... Is looking through uh, the laundry in the bathroom, and she looks up, and Norman is in the bath, naked, reading a newspaper. Absolutely no startled no. surprise, shock. What are you doing in the bathroom? Just just starts having a conversation with her, as if that's the most normal thing in the world to do. And it is not the first time in this episode we see very bizarre bathroom etiquette, um, which would be a trope of this episode that. For this uh, universe, yeah. in this episode of Jonathan Creek, 
everyone behaves differently in bathrooms to, to the the world and history. I mean, I think it's a trope of of Jonathan Creek in general that people act oddly in bathrooms and have very different versions of what. If you think about be. the opera singer from the last the opera episode, yeah, in the last episode, that's a good point. But also. You're right. In this episode, it's not just weird bathroom etiquette. It's the fact that it's different depending on what kind of bathroom you're in and who you are. But it's definitely something abnormal about it all. Um, Yeah, he's very creepy. It's that when I noticed his accent as well, actually. Mm. Um, And I was trying to work out what his accent accent was. I actually think the... the, um... No, no, it's because for that scene and that scene only, he was Scottish. But he was never Scottish again before or since. That, I forgot that. That freaked me out. I didn't understand that at and, all. And uh, the actor is is an Irish actor born in Cork. Right. It's obviously doing RP. Yeah. But for that one scene, he obviously came across a bit Scottish. Because he, he reminded me of the only other Scottish person I know with this particular accent is Armando Iannucci. Yes. Where he spent so much time yeah. in the south of England, London and Oxford, that it's yeah. very, very, it's very soft. very gentle, um, yeah. And he had that. Uh, yeah. which I yes, went, oh, he he's Scottish, but actually yeah. the actor's Irish, so it kind of explains that. Uh, oh, you know, Does it? Know about. Does it, it? Ex- explains how he's he's Irish, so it explains that he's English, but for one scene is Scottish. Well, once you know that there's only one take, and that's what you've got. <laughs> I'm not saying it makes logical dramatic sense. I'm saying that given that they spent all the budget on the clocks, they only had enough camera in the film left for for what they got. That was that it. will do. What did yeah. Well and done. That'll do. Uh, so then um, she's uh, quite casually, obviously time has passed. He's had his bath um, uh, and they're back at the dinner table. Maddie's uh, convinced Antonia to cook a chicken that she's brought. Yeah, that's weird. Um, another weird food gag. Uh, and uh, Maddie's rifling through Norman's wallet, which he's completely okay with, yeah. um, and pulls out a piece of paper. Uh, and on it, there's a riddle that says, uh, Oh, when I know... To free hate to sever no one. Very well says. remembered. Good. Um, and uh, this riddle is brought back a few times throughout the episode. Um, so I'm not going to say my thoughts on this now. Because I did write them now because I remembered what it was. Uh, but we'll we'll save that for later. But just, yeah, the the riddle uh, is there. And, um, and and we learned that it was, it was wedged in between two business cards. Which allows Maddie to ask Norman a bit about this business card. Yes. Which has um, uh, Mel um, and Norman's company, mm-hmm. which presumably doesn't exist anymore because, as we learn, the company folded. He said, "Ah, that's yes. that business card is from when I used to run a business, yeah, with my partner, but that folded a while ago, yeah, during the recession." Why does he still have a business card for a business that he doesn't run anymore <laughs> in his wallet? Sentimentality. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, also, it's not a good, it's not a good, well-designed business card for a company that specialises <laughs> in graphic design. <laughs> who who have some pretty incredible contacts, as we'll learn uh, in the pretty daily. Pretty incredible contacts, um, yeah. But um, but uh, that's an important bit of information, and we get that through that device. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Learn, learn about his business partner Melvin Porthrop. Mm-hmm. They run this company together. Recession company folded. He got a job, landed on his feet with this American software company, uh, but says he's lost touch with Melvin. Uh, things didn't go very well for for him, and they went their separate ways. And he's not spoken to him in a very long time. Um, yeah. and that, that's what we know about that. Uh, then it's time to bring Jonathan uh, in uh, to the, this mystery, um, and we see Maggie and Jonathan. Together, uh, Jonathan's talking about how terrible it is that this relationship started. Um, I'm not quite sure why it, it has or, or how. It feels in like he's accidentally got himself into a relationship with the VAT accountant. Um, and he can't break it off because he's afraid that if he says, look, I don't want to go out with you. It was lovely. Thank you. But no more. Um, she'll think it's because she's got alopecia. Yeah. Which, judging by the rest of her personality, uh, and it, it seem, it's the only logical reason for why he does want to break it off. Because this young she seems woman lovely. who's seeking yeah. at her job and yeah, kind, smart, in. funny, yeah, lovely. I I think this is another example, as we learnt last week, where the subplot 
takes place in a different time scale to the main plot because the amount of time that they that they feel like they're saying this relationship's been going on for to execute the joke that Jonathan has been come trapped in this relationship that he wants to get out of yeah is far too long for the amount of time that they're trying to solve this case because everything's happening very very quickly from finding the wallet to going to the wimpy to the actual discovery of the case is is under a week yeah but yet the relationship that's happening in between seems to have been thing- going on for weeks for and weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks so that's again i think another indication that there's this thing in jonathan creek where this where we think the subplot is linear but actually it's not pop fiction it again <laughs> there you are pop fiction it again I like, I like that um like the use of that <laughs> adverb like, uh to pop fiction something. yeah so and but then um maddie makes of course some quite cutting jokes about this this woman uh uh run, run uh, didn't you figure it out when you were running your hands through her hair and she wasn't even in the room is the gag that yeah. she does. and jonathan says i don't know why i'd expect to get a grain of sympathy from you but well, he's talking sympathy about sympathy for him just... so so again it's just a scene of just quite two horrible people going one's just having a go at her for being bold and making fun of her and the other one's going no come no come on don't do that not for her benefit i want you to feel sorry for me because i can't break up with her i'm the one who has to have a, a, a relationship with bald freak <laughs> yeah. like it's really it's just <laughs> distasteful it leaves a really bad taste in the mouth yeah um so yeah so yeah then they go off to bishop stortford to go to the wimpy to have a little chat with lewis who uh, brushes them off and says oh I, I, I must have been wrong he's changed his tune really suspicious very suspicious so suspicious he then goes off to have a wee, but it's okay. Maddie follows him in there because, again, bathroom etiquette in this episode is is different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously meant to be Maddie such a, uh, you know, gutsy journalist. She's never going to let go of the story, so she'll go into the men's bathroom. I think that's what it's meant to be. It's it? just weird that it happens in the same episode, like three scenes after she's got accidentally gone into a bathroom yeah. and the and and the roles are reversed of who's kind of awkward. Although actually having said that, Lewis, again, still doesn't have any problem with her interviewing him whilst he's having a wee. This is what I find interesting, is that he goes into the bathroom to escape Maddie. Yeah. Maddie follows him in. Instead of Lewis turning around and saying, look, what do you want from me? And then engaging in a discussion... Lewis, Lewis just carries on having a wee. So therefore, the, the motivation for him going into the bathroom wasn't <laughs> to, to escape. The, the it's just because he really <laughs> wanted a wee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is great. Yeah. Like, once you know that logic, um, it's, yeah. yeah, it makes that scene so much better. Now, then he washes his hands uh, and, and kind of leaves and sort of tells her to basically to stop following this story. Um, and... She turns around and sees someone else has entered the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, did you recognise this person? Because you were a big fan of them. No. You were a big fan of them before. Oh, what? Did you not notice them from the moustache? Your favourite extra from... Oh, my goodness. The same extra with the same ridiculous moustache. He plays a the, policeman the, the in No bag. Trace of Tracy. Moment. The big moustache. Yep. Oh, my... Oh, my God. I'm... Do you know why they used the same extra? <laughs> why? Because it's director Sandy Johnson. Oh. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's Sandy. It's Sandy Johnson. This is a Pulp Fiction in the sense that Tarantino gives himself a cameo in every movie. Oh my Sandy, God. Sandy gives himself a little yeah. cameo in, in every episode as well. Oh, okay. I'm annoyed I missed it, but I'm also really excited now. I know that information. Um, then we go well, to... Oh, good sleuthing, though. Oh, I thought you'd enjoy that. Then we go to uh, uh, Jonathan and Maddie, and Jonathan's playing a weird trick trying to prove that people don't remember people by showing them pictures of Newt Gingrich. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why. Um, but, there, yeah, there are two uh, of the staff at uh, the Wimpy. Now, of course, because... Um, it's in North Essex and it's a wimpy. Um, they're they're idiots. Yeah. Um, again, David Rennick being so elitist as he is in every episode, uh, and uh, a bit of humour of them thinking that they said Newt Gingrich came in and then 
they don't fully remember the picture of Norman. And she says, oh, I think, yeah, no, he did come in with the first guy who was Newt Gingrich. Yeah. So silly stuff. And he kind of, yeah, is saying, look, there you go. That proves my point. Let's all just yeah. move on. Which, again, I would have been saying from the beginning. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind because, of, again, yeah. why why are we putting so much onus on, on, on Lewis? Um, but then they spot uh, a homeless guy across the road from the Wimpy. Yeah. Think, well, maybe he spotted something. And then we He's go over to the... the homeless guy, David. The homeless guy is a second appearance from your friend and mine, Mr. Rob <laughs> Jarvis, as you all know from Hustle. Eddie from Hustle. He turned up again, no trace of Tracy, not just Sandy Johnson, but Rob Jarvis in No Trace of Tracy as, uh, I think it was called Tex, the uh, yeah. band bandmate of uh, of one of He went uh, to go get Drew. the pizzas, came back and it was, he was fired. Yeah. Um, now, again, this... If you, if you haven't seen Hustle, you, you should. You need to watch it so you can understand David's excitement over, over Rob Jarvis, if anything. Yeah. Uh, now, what excites me even more than just seeing Rob Jarvis and being reminded of how brilliant Hustle is, is that this is uh, evidence that Jonathan Creek, episode to episode, is a shared universe because the character <laughs> now, of Tex now, goes for the character of Tex in season one, episode five. Goes to get a pizza, comes back, he's been chucked out of a band. He becomes so down on his luck, he ends up as a homeless person in Bishop Stortford. Now, brilliant, brilliant storytelling. Before, you said there was a Venn diagram, right, of overlapping act character actors from the Hustle. Yeah. And from Hustle and and Jonathan Jonathan Creek. Yeah. Now you're saying it's a shared universe in the same way of like Torchwood and Doctor Who are that. I think that's a bit of a stretch. No, not a shared universe between Hustle and Jonathan Creek. A shared universe between the standalone episodes of Jonathan Creek. That there is through lines, because I don't think he's just the same actor playing two separate characters. I think the character he plays in season one, episode five is the same. Is the same. And this is what happened to him because he got kicked out of the band. So if that is true. Yes. Right. One. That's just a good series. That's just what a good series looks like. You're having to do all this effort in order to do something that other programmes just do anyway. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Why don't Maddie and Jonathan recognise it? (laughs) Well, to be fair, Jonathan never met him. It was only Maddie that met him. Right. Yeah. We assume it was a while ago. And other than in this episode, people don't tend to re- photographically remember people's faces after glancing at them once. Um, except well, for Lewis, in, except me and Lewis at the Wimpy and Bishop Stortford yeah. are the only two people that have that ability. Uh, I have to say, Rob Jarvis is very good. I mean, let us know what you think about that. He's, there is a again, he's, he's very good. Again, he is brilliant uh, in this. Um, he and, really is. Um, um, and he has so much information I mean... He's got to convey a lot of exposition. I mean, talk about... Uh, what is it? Deus Ex Machina, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it is just him absolutely being a device for them to move on the episode because it's so convenient that he knows all this stuff. Not only does he uh, remember Norman from looking at a picture, he also went, if you want any more evidence, I also remember that there was someone taking photographs of, of a place for rent next door, but people kept walking. Like, How do you... Re- like? You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're drunk and well, you, you have so much clarity and not just drunk do you know what he's drinking it's like mouthwash or something meths he's drinking yeah. methylated spirits that was it yeah like white spirit which I think is so much of a cliche that you, what, you, you don't see it in television anymore I mean I've never seen it happen in real I know it does happen or David, has happened Dave, but David Rennick's never seen a homeless person in real life has he? yeah I think you're right I think you're right I think you've just gone what do homeless people do are. Drink turpentine. Drink turpentine. And, he, and they bought the turpentine yeah, for him. Yeah. So he's, they've gone, what do you want? And he's gone, God, oh, can you get me some, can you give me some chemicals so I can drink that? And he takes a swig of that and goes, oh, cheers. Like, yeah. Oh, no, no. You don't, like, you think this is the drink of choice. Fine. Fine. Um, um, so, but so it's any, very good anyway. Yeah. A- anyway, they, they uh, get these pictures from 
this. He was absolutely right. There were pictures taken. So you've got photographic proof now. Norman Stangerson was there yeah. at the Wimpy. And so they decide that maybe it's time to pay a little visit to Melvin Porthrop. Melvin Porthrop. The, the former business partner, of course. I just Norman found it Stangerson. funny again. I, th- I said it enough times yeah. for it not to be funny. Melvin. Yeah, it's funny again. Poor throb. Um, <laughs> and they go and see him at his house, cleaning, uh, sort of doing some gardening, I think, for his neighbour. Yeah. But they he's... don't realise it's his neighbour at the time. They think it's his house because Jonathan goes in to try and snoop around. Yeah. But he's attacked by a dog. And whilst we get important information from melvin uh that essentially he's saying kind of corroborating norman's story that um yeah. they yeah they they sort of uh, haven't spoken to each other for a while and used to work together used to work together all back in the past as that's happening uh there's a dumb show again again now the third connection again with uh no trace of tracy <laughs> is that is the is the scene in the studio even the titles no trace of tracy time waits for norman these two episodes are very strongly interlinked aren't they okay all right david i yeah um but that yeah that dumb show is ridiculous because it's jonathan uh running away from from a dog and you go, oh, okay, it's meant to be kind of funny because it's a tiny Jack Russell as yeah. well, right? Famously yappy dogs. Uh, um, and Jonathan's obviously afraid of the dog. Cuts back to the conversation. Then it cuts to inside the house where Jonathan's running away from the dog and his entire arm has been yeah. lacerated. His wrist. Blood his everywhere. wrist where there's, you know, quite severe artery. Yeah. Famously uh, where, where people kill themselves. So that's good. Absolutely. Just, it, it's... So brutal. It makes me actually worry for Jonathan's safety, which means that it's no longer... Like, even if it was funny, it certainly isn't now. Yeah. Oh, then he throws the sausage to distract the dog and then slips on it, cracking his back. Yeah. And then an old woman goes in there. We don't need to find out what the consequences of this essentially breaking and entering is. Like, no, no, that's He's all just fine, gone no. into someone's house that's not even melvin it's a, just an old woman who's presumably got in and found him there yeah but no consequences no. he's just in the car and she says oh jonathan stop being such a wuss kind yeah of so melodramatic yeah um when you know he's he's probably lost a, a lot of blood because yeah. he's probably severed and the dog severed an artery but that's all fine all fine and fun games there's a cut back to uh jonathan's oh, old girlfriend jo- 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 jonathan a, on a date with his girlfriend and they're looking about... through a photo album and He's in the kitchen and he nearly drinks bull semen. Yeah. Because that's funny. So it? apparently being a bald person means that you've got jars of bull, se- bull semen in your house. I don't know. It's like yeah. another attempt to make her weird. But because she isn't. Yeah. Do you know what would have been a better attempt just... to make her weird? Write her as a weird character. Write her as a, an odd the character. Thing, the thing is, David, you're writing all of it. Not yeah. just the stage directions where you say, I'll oh, put bull semen. Like, you're you writing have control. all of it. So if you wanted to make her weird, you could have done. What you yeah. did was make her really lovely and then try try and shoehorn in things to make her seem weird. when she, like. It's, it's like bizarre. you're trying to problem solve for something that you've, you've created. Done. Yeah. Oh, it's really annoying because I've got this character. She's just not weird enough. I'll tell you what, I'll make her have some bull semen. Or no, go, go back and take responsibility for it all. But yeah, anyway, the only reason I mention that is just another kind of weird dig. But we've got the 70s kind of fast routine with the sausages into a joke about bull, bull semen. And then we have this little reveal of, of, uh, what, of the number. That's yes. what we have. Yeah, yeah. Because so, Jonathan works out what the what the the, the riddle is. Yeah. So uh, um, oh, remember, oh, oh, when I know to free hate to sever no one, and we learn, of course, that it is a phone number. I I love this. It's great. It is great. I'm glad you it, like it. It's, I really, it's a great really riddle. Uh If you say it, yeah, it's a phone number. Now. It's not a mnemonic, which is what Jonathan Creek says it is. It's not a mnemonic. And also, I don't think phone numbers are that difficult to remember. Like, what's something that's difficult to remember but you need to... Do you know know what's more secure than writing a riddle and leaving it in a wallet just remembering the phone number? It's one one phone number. Why didn't he just remember the phone number? Mm, Yeah. To be honest, I... 
I'm not very good at remembering numbers. Um, but but if you had to remember one phone number, I mean, there are several numbers that I've got in my head from when I was younger. Yeah. To to now, um, yeah. it's not, it wouldn't be that much of a problem. I what's interesting though is even if like me, you don't have a great memory for numbers and you were worried. I think it's harder to remember that riddle than it is the number. So. <laughs> He's written down the number yeah. in a code form. I don't know. I yeah. I think it's a clever device, but um, I think you're maybe being a little bit harsh on it. I think it's a nice device. It's a nice device. I'm just saying I think it would have been easier for him to just remember the phone number. Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that, can I really? Um, so then uh, Maddie gets a call from uh, Antonio Stangerson uh, saying that Norman has died. They, of course, rush round. And do you want to fill us into how how he died, Cal? Well, first of all, we have a big close-up on Antonia, who is crying hysterically. Yeah. And as I went to write in my notes, David turned to me and said, "Well, she's been chopping chilies again." <laughs> right. Which which listener you may think is a little insensitive, but it's not. It's not. Because watch it. <laughs> that is the level at which she was crying, presumably for hours. When she was, she genuinely was just chopping chilies. She's like, I've never known anyone to have such a strong allergic reaction to something that they've chosen to cook with. Um, so, so yeah. Anyway, we learn that she she's crying hysterically. Maybe she's been chopping chilies as well, but also is sad because she's just been told that Norman has died. The question was, how did he die? A pyrotechnic went off in his face, is what we're told. Pyrotechnic. Pyrotechnic. Because it was the 4th of July celebrations in America. Yeah. Now, what do you imagine when you when you imagine pyrotechnics? Well, we're in the world of, of magic shows and, yeah. you know, I imagine... You know, big uh, flashbangs and yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know. You know, pyrotechnics, whoosh bang, big. They you are know, distinct and different to fireworks, aren't they? They're different things. Yeah, a pyrotechnic I mean, isn't a synonym for a firework. Because I'm pretty sure what happened is a firework went off in a sense. It was Fourth of July. Why have a Why have a mid scale software company in New York got a pyrotechnics show to celebrate the Fourth of July? Well, what? Just say firework. Well, you're right. Is that you're right? But at this point, we don't know whether whether they did. Maybe they did have a mid. Maybe they did. Right. At this point, <laughs> okay. yeah, we don't know. Let's just assume we're taking the information as it's given to us, not yep. being cynical, being open-minded in this yep. podcast. Right. Yeah. This mid-scale office in New York having a Fourth of July celebrations, and they got some pyrotechnics in the office. <laughs> got it rigged up. One went off, and as you might expect, really, one one goes off in the face of uh, Mal Porthrop and kills him. No, Norman Stangerson. Sorry, taking uh, Norman, it as red. Norman Stangerson. Sorry, quite right. Then what happens? Uh, the best yeah. moment in the history of television. The best moment in the history of television is he's not really dead because the swell of music begins and... Through slow motion <laughs> camera work, <sighs> Norman Staggerson is alive and well, and he comes through the door, and it is the most over-the-top melodramatic thing so far in Jonathan Creek, I think, and totally He's so melodramatic. It's like they've taken, like, you know, in a Disney movie when there's a, a dream sequence and you get that harp? Yeah. It's that mixed with the footage uh, of... Uh, um, Oh, what's the film they're running on the beach? Chariots of Fire. It's, yeah, it's the Disney harp mixed with Chariots of Fire footage. But he's only going three feet through a doorway. But that's how dramatically it's kind of shot with this weird filter. Yeah. It's the most melodramatic thing you've ever seen in your life. But again, so tame. Like, all of this episode. It's really, it's it's the tamest thing in the world pretending to be... It's like a kind of like a crap rap album, yeah. By a manufactured, it's like five, right? When yeah. when the band Five put parental advisory on the <laughs> on the album, <laughs> absolutely unnecessarily. <laughs> Just be... Yeah, 
that's what this episode is. Yeah. So yeah. we have that. Obviously, Antonio's very relieved um, that her husband's not dead. Yeah. But wait, you know. Yeah, so what's what's happened? What's Who happened? is dead? And then we learn. Oh, and it's one of the most convoluted, like, full of holes, like, things in Jonathan Creek explanations or, or you know. Uh, Completely unnecessarily. They could have explained it all. They just could he just couldn't be bothered to write a reveal. But it just... I don't think it would work. So we learn that basically Melvin Porthrop has been living the life of Norman Stangerson in America because uh, Norman landed on his feet with this job and apparently mid-scale software company in the late 90s pays enough for two people's full-time salaries. This is a very good point. Um... Uh, which he says, he says, Sal- salary is more than enough for both of us. Well, how much are you on? I mean... How much are you on? A lot more than your wife thinks you are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's weird. Um, Hiding the salary from the wife. Yeah. Uh, but obviously she's, she has to be a millionaire to own the amount of clocks that she does. Uh, now, uh, what they do is, uh, yeah, they'll meet up. Uh, because of their contacts in graphics, yeah. they manage to get passports sorted. I question why he needs the passport to say Norman Stangerson. They're not tricking the airport security. That's a I, very good point. I you didn't really understand it. why the passport needed Have to change. about that? Yeah. <laughs> At all. Who are they? Who's that for the benefit of? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know why they need to trick airport security. But there we go. Um, And so Melvin works the US leg uh, three times a month, or how much it was. Uh and uh, Norman works uh, the UK leg and just goes off to a hotel or wherever, as we learn. Um, And uh, that's not all, though, because Jonathan got very obsessed about this poster for a football poster that you could collect from Wimpy. Uh, And he realised that the reason, because Norman said he didn't eat red meat, the reason Mm -hmm. he bought the burger was to get the coupons. He was collecting them. So he could get a poster for his other wife's son, his stepson. Yes. So he has two wives. He had a hunch that he was buying a poster for a young football fan. Um, and that led Norman to say, yes, OK. Yeah. You're right. I am leaving a double life. Yeah. My... Lover of when I was 19. Yep. He was 17 at the time they met. Yeah. Okay, Reconnect, reconnected. Um, he reconnected. How did they, how did they reconnect, David? <laughs> Come on. He says, he yep. says, then one day we reconnected. It doesn't matter how. Does it, yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. I've just written in, in capital yeah. letters, you cannot do this. You yeah. cannot... You cannot well, tell us what doesn't matter. Like, that's literally just the David Rennick reconnected basically day. putting a, doesn't a, matter a how. post-it note on a script going, oh, I'll get there somehow, I'll work it out later. Like, it does matter. It does matter because it matters how long it's been going on. Because you've only been married to Antonio for 18 months, right? So we need to know... Because at the moment, it sounds like you and Antonio were having a lovely time. And then recently, you've reconnected with your old girlfriend and started having an affair. But that's not what's happened, is no, it? No, What's no, happened no. is that you've been with this previous girlfriend yeah. yeah, for a long time. They were childhood sweethearts, met again, reconnected, got back together again. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't matter how. Then, then found... Uh, and met and fell in love with Antonio subsequent to that. Um, but but before he met Antonio, the... I got... Oh, now, this is where I get a bit lost. I was under the impression that the deal with Melvin Porthrop was already in place. And the deal with Melvin Porthrop wasn't actually originally to cover up being married to two people. It was just a nice thing to do for Melvin because he was down on his luck, Right. Well, so because I'm sure that's the timeline of how they explain things is that that happened pre him and then thought, well, we're already doing this thing. So it'd be quite easy for me to 
been to places. I got really confused about the timeline of when those things happened and the original impetus for why pretending to be someone else going over there. You're right. It it can be explained... You, you can explain it away either way. You can say that... Because the, the information isn't there. Yeah. Because he just admits it, saying it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's open to interpretation. So you can either say, well... They were seeing each other for a long time. Then he got together with Antonia. Uh, and presumably the first girlfriend didn't mind. Yeah. And was okay with him being a bigamist. Um, and uh, and so it was just the fact that he was a, a temporophobe. He was worried about time. Yeah. This whole arrangement allowed him to have more time. Um, and... But then it also suggests that he that the 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 son her son is his maybe yeah but it wasn't dismissed that it wasn't so it could be but I think that's quite an important detail like if I was Antonia I'd want to know like I'd want to know do you have a, a son by another woman yeah even though we've been married I'd be absolutely livid um I'd just like to say also it shows. Norman finding out the news through the girlfriend, right? The yeah. the or the or the first wife. We don't know if they were actually married, but the the crush from set from seventeen and nineteen. She gets the phone call and tells Norman while he's playing football in the garden with her son, possibly their son, that Mel's died. Mm-hmm. So she does know. So she knows all about it and is happy because it's then that she gets the phone call, looks at him. He has this very dramatic reaction shot. And then we find out exactly how Mel died. Because there's a big picture of all the fireworks. Yeah. Which means that it wasn't pyrotechnics. They do mean fireworks. It's just lazy script editing. They haven't gone back and bothered to change it. Yeah. Um... So that yeah, so the, I I knew they meant fireworks even before I knew, immediately when they said fireworks went wrong. I was right. holding it. I was holding it. I was having faith. Yeah, but you were right. Um, uh, so oh, there's also another bit that I that I that I have to bring up because I think this doesn't work. He says that um, if ever Antonia was to ring America, uh. Melvin had his voice off down pat enough mm-hmm. to say, I'll, I'll, I'm in a meeting, I'll call you back. Um, and then let uh, Norman know at his other wife's home yeah. to call. Now, even in the 90s, phones are able to see what number you were calling from. So she'd see that he was calling her from an English phone number, from an English landline. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't, that, that bugged me. Um, but I think if you if you go through this with a fine tooth comb, there's a lot of loopholes about how this how this <sighs> arrangement good, couldn't have worked. It's a good point. The arrangement it would take so much effort. It it wouldn't be worth it. It it was it was too much effort. Even David Rennick thought it wasn't worth the effort to make it make sense for the episode. So yeah. how would Norman and, and and Mel have made it work at work? And this is what I mean about it. It's important to know why they did th- and if. If they did do this before he met Antonia, because he says, I know we're going back on things, but this is important. He says, when Maddie's at the dinner table with him and he's explaining about what happened when the company, he says he got that job with the software company and met Antonia afterwards, right? Yeah. So if he, so if that is the case, then the only possible, the only possible answer is that him and him and Melvin created this plan before he met Antonia because why would he have gone out? He he can't have met them as himself yeah. before sending Melvin out there. Yeah. So so they came up with this plan for why? For to help Mel. <laughs> Hugely elaborate plan because he felt bad that Mel didn't how didn't land on his feet. I think that's it. Right. Right. That's so that, ridiculous. So this elaborate way of life, just to be clear, is motivated not by covering up any no cause affair. Because it, it, like it had to have happened afterwards. It's for Mel. Remember that. Yeah. Right? When 
when Norman finishes his explanation, yeah. says, my crime was trying to love too many people. Antonia retorts straight away saying, your crime is not knowing who to love. Yeah. Give, give me a call when you figure it out. To which my response was, no, your crime was cheating on your wife <laughs> and having a love child and committing huge fraud in New York City with your business partner. <laughs> Those are your crimes. None of it was, was loving too many people and having to create a story in order to in order to get round loving too many people. Because you did this before you met either of them. Yeah. Yeah. Before you rekindled the relationship or even met Antonia. Yeah. So, so let's just be absolutely clear. Those are your crimes. You're not wrong. Why Antonia's going, oh, oh, when, you, when you've made your mind up on who you're going to pick, me or her. What? What? You're going to stay with this man. I would... I'd divorce him sooner rather than later... And I'd take him for for not just what, what he's got in his bank account, but what he should have in his bank account, according to the double salary that he's getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. Which presumably must be a lot because, you know, Tom Clancy. So I, I, I have no idea what Antonia's logic is there, apart from the fact that, once again, this absolutely boring, mediocre man Right, I'm glad you brought this what up. What on earth is it they see in him? I'm glad you brought this up because I, I want to talk about this. Now, yes, we are led to believe because of how they've styled him, the clothes he wears, um, the glasses, the uh, job he has. We are meant to believe that he is this timid, me- timid mediocre man. But I think he acts the part... Like, he's like quite a confident Lothario, but it doesn't work with the character they're telling him he is. Yeah. Like, when he's, like, kissing her neck when they're in bed, and when he's, like, just, I'm naked in the bath and reading a paper and I don't care if you come in or yeah. not. You know, like, there's these... Throughout the episode... It's a really good point. It feels like he, he is playing a different person than to what they've made him look like. I'm wondering, is that... Can you... I mean... Give us a give us a uh, a bell if you if you think that this is what sexy looked like in the nineties. Maybe it did. Maybe middle aged sexy was all about, you know, the baggy grey suit and the thin rimmed glasses and being afraid of uh, time passing and being a temperophobe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, that is literally the whole bloody episode. Yeah, there's and a little flirty denouement with Maddie and Jonathan. Yeah, where she pretends to. Uh, that that she's inviting him to stay around because she's oh you missed your last train um yeah and there's nice romantic music um oh he also explains there's a, there's a joke where he misunderstands her talking about Kojak as being another dig to the VAT inspector and yeah. he says oh no oh you know you're so rude anyway I've ended it and it says that he ended it around the dinner table with her family and then is surprised that they're surprised that their reaction was to throw him out on a tea trolley going well i mean yes odd thing to do but they're kind of justified because you broke up with their daughter in front of them i mean again sociopath Um, the absolute behavior of a sociopath he has no emotional connection to the rest of humanity textbook um, anyway, that leads Maddie to kind of be like, oh, well, anyway, it was fine. And then kind of saying, like, you look what's going on with you and me. And, oh, you've missed your, you know, there's always a bit of friction between us. But that's no bad thing. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. What's the time you missed your train? Oh, is he going to stay over? Is it going to be right? Oh, uh, six hour wait. And you know what they say, Jonathan. Station. Time flies. <laughs> which is the, that's the button of the episode. Yeah. Which has not been the message of the episode. No. So it's kind of a weird non-pun. And shouldn't it be, you know what they say, Jonathan, time waits for no man. Yeah, that's what it should be, yeah. But no. Um, but she also says, she, so she's punishing him for some reason, for, for like for having sex with the accountant, presumably. Yeah. Which is odd, because Maddie, as a character, shouldn't even give a toss, no. really, about Jonathan. No. Because she's quite a warm, caring person. But, and, and he's not, he's the opposite of that. <laughs> um... So I don't know why she's punishing him. But then she says, a six-hour wait at the train station. Try not to sit in your own vomit. It'll soon go. Yeah. 
What does that mean? I don't know. What does that mean? Try not to sit in your own vomit. It'll soon go. <laughs> what? <laughs> the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, and then, you know what they say, Jonathan, time, time flies. Good. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's ever been an episode of Jonathan Creek that you would say wasn't for the faint-hearted. Yeah. But I think this episode has been designed specifically for people in a home for recovering heart patients. <laughs> it's a murder mystery. <laughs> there's no but murder. But there's no murder. Well, a firework murdered someone, I suppose. A firework, a pyrotechnic yeah. murdered someone. Um, but it, yeah, it's specifically for people who... He might die if they have a quick fright. So let's make sure they we treat them as carefully as possible. That That's a point, actually, that we just do need to really quickly bring up is when Jonathan starts to get onto the scent of it possibly being to do with this double life thing. Yeah. It's originally he's having that idea because he thinks it's so he can plot to kill Antonia. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, why are you calling out that the episode could have been more exciting? That's a very good point. Well, his, his initial idea is a, is a more yeah. believable episode of Jonathan Creek than the one it turns out to be, which is far, far lower stakes. I mean, the, I mean, there are loads of continuity issues as well. The, the, the room, the dining room of that house is clearly two false partition panels put together in a studio yeah. because you can see that they don't match up properly. Like... The amount of stuff that they haven't spent money on, but they have removed the hands from 150 <laughs> different clocks, one of which is from a clock tower. It's unbelievable. Why? Why make that the thing? Unless you genuinely believe that Norman's motivation was because he was afraid of time passing. So instead of trying to stop time passing, he just tried to give himself more time. And yeah. then in the process accidentally had an affair. Uh, and a love child before then getting married to someone else I don't know well I think enough time has now passed on us talking about this episode yeah it has um, yes time waits for Norman but it does not wait for podcast macabre so we will draw a close <laughs> very nice to the end of this particular episode um, and just yeah absolutely I never get tired of watching it. It is the best worst episode of Jonathan Creek. Uh, I'm I'm never watching it again. Ever. <laughs> I feel the opposite to that. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement if ever I've heard one. Um, so uh, join us uh, next week uh, where hopefully we will get this out to you a little bit earlier um in the meantime uh you can get in touch with us if you have any questions if you want to tell us about uh anyone you know that might be temporophobic um or that has alopecia for that matter um yeah do let us know you can email us uh at podcastermacabre at gmail.com you can tweet us at macabre podcaster you can find us on facebook uh fb.me forward slash podcaster macabre and you can listen to this episode as you are now and any previous episodes on our platforms on anchor on spotify we are now on apple podcasts we're on google podcasts we're on stitcher we're on overcast we're on all of them loads of different ones so uh anywhere that you get podcasts from pretty much now you can find us there so until next week I've been David Chopland. I've been Callum Hughes. We have been Podcaster Macabre. Enjoy your week. Have a great one. We will see you next Monday. Thank you for listening. Bye.